celebrate a big event, and we've got a few um, big events that we heard about earlier this morning. <clears throat> a wedding, an anniversary, a milestone birthday. There's one question that we always have to sort out, and it's always difficult. Who do you invite? Who will you share this life event with? When Greg and I got married, um, having people celebrate with us was important to us. But like everyone, we had a budget. <laughs> Not a very big budget. And though we were um, cost efficient to ensure that we could include as many people as possible, we still had to make difficult decisions about who we invited. We had to prioritise. Weddings are kind of the prime example because they involve a significant life event that we intend to remember and we want to include people that will share that memory with us for a long time. But in reality, every time we celebrate something, we choose who we invite to celebrate with us just by who we share that news with and how we share it. We um, have been in a series here at Northern reflecting and engaging um, with practices or disciplines that help us connect to God's heart and connect with other people. And this morning we're kind of bringing this series to a kind of conclusion. This morning we're thinking about celebration. Celebration. I wonder if that is a practice that strikes you as um, a bit odd to be part of this series. Celebration is about engaging in social and joyful activity to reinforce or remember something that is important to us. We celebrate milestones with things like a new job or the end of school, birthdays, anniversaries. Why? Because there are events in our lives that are significant to us or to people that we love and we want to remember it and honour it. And when we're in the midst of a tough season, finding small things to celebrate reminds us that there is more to life than our current season. Celebration, particularly when life is feeling tough, is a discipline that helps us refocus on the joy that we have in doing life with Jesus. So this morning we're thinking about celebration, rejoicing, recognising, remembering. In the life of the people of Israel, remembering was really important. <clears throat> it was important to God that the people remember that they remember who they are, that they remember the events that led them to be the people of God and that they remember who God is. This mattered so much to God that he built it into the pattern of how they were to live. The passage that Mary read out for us, um, thank you Mary for battling through those um, names of people groups. It's always, always tough when you pick a reading like that um, and I appreciate you reading it. Um, it's a description of how the people were to celebrate the harvest. This was a description of um, what God set out for the people to do. In Leviticus 23, we find an outline of the annual festivals that the people were to engage in. This is a list of them here and you can read through Leviticus 23 if you want to read the detail of what those things looked like. But each festival reminded the people of an event in the life of Israel, of how God intervened and it reminded them that they continued to be part of this story. Each festival involved days of Sabbath and stopping and often some kind of sacrifice. And there was always a feast day, a day of celebration, where the people ate together and connected with one another. And this is a really key part of what celebration is about. Celebration is not a solo activity. 
don't know if you've ever tried to celebrate something by yourself. It's very difficult. Even if you kind of, you know, recognise your own achievement, you have to tell someone about it, don't you? You have to tell someone about it. So celebrating is a practice that connects us to God's heart, something that God wants for us. Celebration is part of who God is. If you've ever thought about that. But God is relational and joyful. And this is what he wants most for us, to be in relationship with him and participate in his joy. When Jesus tells stories like the one um, that we heard in the kids' talk this morning, the rejoicing and the celebrating for God happens when people come into relationship with him. God celebrates because we are a part of his family. When we have that deep joy that we feel in a gathering of people, when we genuinely rejoice with someone else in their achievement or their milestone or something for them, God is celebrating too. God is for us. Often when we think about um, spiritual disciplines and we kind of use that framework, we think about um, acts of service or constraints Um, things that might involve suffering for us. All all things that connected to, to Jesus' life on earth and all of these things are part of this picture. But we sometimes forget that Jesus spent a lot of time celebrating. He spent a lot of time gathered around tables with other people. He attended feasts and festivals. And I want to suggest to you that when we are in a tough place... Celebration and joy is a discipline. We need to train ourselves into it. It doesn't come naturally for us. So when I asked this morning, what are you celebrating? How easy was that to answer? For some of us, really easy. For others of us, tough. And that's okay. But when we ask that question regularly, we train our mind to focus on what God is doing that is bringing joy. Maybe we don't feel it internally for us right now, but we can be joyful with someone else. Someone else we love. This isn't about forgetting that there are tough times. We we all have tough times. It's about recognising that God is bigger than those things. I don't know if you've ever thought about it quite like this, but... A lot of the imagery that we have uh, for the kingdom of God looks like a party or a celebration, a great banquet, a wedding feast. And Jesus spoke about this in a story that we find in Luke 14. So in context, Jesus is sitting at a banquet table in the home of a man named Simon. So he'd been invited and he had come. And he's watching everyone come in and kind of fight over places of honour at the table And the um, story goes like this, in verse 7. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honour near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honour. What if someone is more distinguished than you and they've also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat. And then you'll be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table and then when your host sees you, he'll come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. 
And then you'll be honoured in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the kind of um, lesson in humility that Jesus is imparting to the guests at the banquet as they choose their seats. A little bit confrontational. Um, who knew Jesus would be confrontational, hey? Um, now, if we imagine the context, Jesus is a travelling rabbi. So he's been teaching, people know that. And he's been invited into the home of a community leader as he travels um, through that area. Anyone who was anyone would be invited to hear him speak and to kind of share in his teaching. And so Jesus starts this conversation with a kind of teaching opportunity. But potentially it makes people a little bit uncomfortable. Jesus being Jesus goes on. (laughs) And then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your brothers or your friends or your relatives or your rich neighbours. They will invite you back and that will be your only reward. Instead, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. Then, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Now, this is something that um, you and I might miss. But the people um, gathered there for dinner would not. Um, Jesus is applying to this situation the idea of the kingdom of God as a great banquet that we would read about in Isaiah 25. And in that passage, all people are welcomed and participate in this great feast on the top of a mountain. It's really beautiful imagery. And one of the guests around the table picks this up and says, ah, yes, this will be a great blessing. Um, Middle Eastern scholar um, Kenneth Bailey Um, who I'm indebted to, um, tells us that this would be a way of asking Jesus to elaborate on his thinking and theology of this great banquet that we find in Isaiah. This would be a way for the guests to find out the perspective of this particular travelling rabbi. Instead of just agreeing with the guest, which is what might have been expected, Jesus tells a story instead in response. So verse 16, Jesus replied with this story, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, Oh, I've just bought a field and I have to inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I just got married and not coming. Now, once again, um, I am indebted to Kenneth Bailey for some insights into this. In the time of Jesus, the man who prepared the feast would send out invitations and get replies, and then based on the responses would cater appropriately because they would have to have slaughtered the animals and prepared them, all those kinds of things. And then on the day of the banquet, he would let people know that the food was ready, that they should come and, come and eat. So this is similar to when we have people over for dinner. They say yes, and then they come to our house, And then when the food's actually on the table, we say something like, dinner's ready. And they come and like sit in their chairs. What Jesus describes is a man who arranges a banquet only as people have already said yes, are invited to come and take their seat. Now they have excuses. Excuses that they would have known about. No one would have bought a field on a whim. 
Likewise, no one buys oxen without trying them out. And certainly, someone doesn't get married without knowing that this might come up. These are excuses that are rude, incredibly rude in the culture, and they bring shame to the host. So the servant um, comes back. This is going back to the passage that Jesus, this is the story Jesus is telling. The servant returned and told his master what they'd said. The master was furious, as you'd imagine, and said, well, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And after the servant had done this, the servant came back and said, there's still room for more. So his master said, okay, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone that you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those that I first invited will have even the smallest taste of my banquet. What we see is the master is angered, fairly righteously angered, one would, would think. That anger doesn't turn into revenge or spite. He's not taking it out on the people um, that refuse his invitation. He turns to grace. The food is prepared. He's ready to celebrate and he will celebrate. He wants the house to be full. He wants all of the food to be consumed. And so he asks his servant to go out and find the poor, the blind, the lame and include them in the invitation. And then he says also people who are passing by and travellers, those without homes, they should come in too. And you need to urge them. They might not be willing to say yes, but you encourage them. What we see in this story, Jesus tells, is that celebration is expected and um, part of our rhythm of life. And one of the key questions, as I said earlier, is that you have to figure out who is invited. God's answer is everyone is invited. Everyone is included. There are some who will refuse the invitation. And that's okay. And there are also some who will require greater encouragement to say yes. Because they believe that they're unworthy, or they're not really being invited, or that they couldn't be wanted, or that they wouldn't be welcome. In Jesus' story, it's the servant's job to encourage people to come and to help them see that they really are wanted. So while celebration connects us to God's heart, it's also something that connects us to others. And it has the power to connect us with people that we not, might not normally connect with. I want to suggest to you this morning there are two ways this happens. The way suggested by Jesus' actions and the way suggested by his story. So first, if we look at his actions, Jesus participates in a dinner. He's, he's at a banquet to celebrate with someone else. That's what he's doing in Simon's house. He was invited. And Jesus does this a lot if we read through the Gospels. He joins in the celebrations of others. The first miracle that we find in the book of John, Jesus turns water into wine and he's at a wedding, someone else's wedding. He's celebrating a life event with someone. Jesus is prepared to say yes and to genuinely celebrate and participate in someone else's joy. What an amazing privilege it is to be invited into someone else's celebration. Have you ever had that happen? No, I was in my 20s. I went to a lot of weddings. A lot of weddings. <laughs> I think um, in one year, it was upwards of 15 
I had to have a second job just to have wedding presents. And um, I remember someone that I worked with at the time was shocked and they kind of said to me, don't you get tired of going to weddings? Why don't you just say no? And my answer was, no, I don't get tired of them. And I wouldn't say no, not if I was available. I loved each of these couples. I was honoured to be invited and included in a day that was so important to them. I would never say no. So one of the ways that we apply this discipline of celebration is to celebrate with others and to um, lead that celebration. Maybe you have a neighbour who got a new job and, or a, a neighbour who just finished their VCE. How could you celebrate that? Send them a card. Invite them over. We live in a society where lots of these little small events, they just slip by. But these are opportunities to build relationships with people and to point to a God who celebrates. How amazing would it be if the church, the church holistically, more broadly, or even northern, even if just we as a community, were known for being a place where we celebrate well? Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know what people, I mean, I imagine, you know, um, lots of the conversations out there about churches are about how churches are, you know, political or opinionated or um, always infighting, those kinds of comments you hear. What if it was like, how amazing is the church? They know how to throw a good party. Wouldn't that be transformative? The other way that celebration connects us with people is the way that Jesus suggested in his story, which is who are, we, who are we inviting to celebrate with us? Who do we share news with? Jesus says, don't just invite your friends. Invite people who are outsiders. I want to make this super practical for us right now. We are four weeks from Christmas. And Christmas is a time um, for us as followers of Jesus to celebrate and remember that Jesus stepped out of heaven into the messiness of humanity. What an amazing thing for God to do. And so for us, this is a significant celebration. Who are we inviting into that? There is an opportunity for us to invite people who are outsiders. Not, not outsiders to us. I mean... <laughs> Not people you've never met, I mean, maybe, but not, not, not suggesting people that you don't know necessarily. I'm thinking of people who we think might not be interested, who we think, you know what, I've asked them before, I'm not going to ask them again. Maybe people we've never asked, they're friends of ours, but we kind of, we just don't ask them. They won't come on their own because it's Christmas. won't say, you know what, it's Christmas, I'm going to go and celebrate with my friend or I'm going to come to this Christmas Eve service. But they might come because this is important to you and you're inviting them to be part of your celebration. It's the same reason that I would say yes to going to someone's wedding is the same reason that your friend might say yes to being part of your celebration. They feel honoured that you would want them to come that you might think that they'd be welcome. <clears throat> it might take encouragement. In Jesus' story, the servant had to be really sure that people knew they were wanted. Now, 
it's Christmas, so I'm not saying you don't tell them what will happen. Um, if you're inviting them to Christmas Eve here at Northern, we will have a service Christmas Eve and we'd encourage you to invite someone along. Um, but we are celebrating Jesus. That's what happens at Christmas Eve. There'll be singing, there'll be a short message, there will also be food and fun. This is a celebration and everyone is invited. And I'd encourage you to think about how you could frame it that way for people. This is great news that we love to celebrate and share. Who else, who could be part of that? So I just want to, um, I've got a few questions for us this morning, just to think through. So how will, how will each of us, in practice, connect with God through celebrating Christmas this year? What does it look like for you, in practice, in the next four weeks, to connect with God through celebration? And then who can you be praying for opportunities to celebrate with? So there's um, it's a family that Greg and I have got to know over the last few years and um, we pray for them regularly. <laughs> I've invited them to come um, to Christmas Eve, multiple Christmas Eve service, multiple times. They always say no. <laughs> so it's okay. It's okay if people say no, it's fine. But we, um, we will celebrate with them um, in another way this year. Um, we talked to them yesterday and they're like, we must catch up before Christmas and we'll do dinner and we'll, like, yeah, we'll celebrate. For sure we will. Um, it's, you know, opens the door for those kinds of conversations. So who can you be praying for those opportunities to have those conversations with? And then think about who you might have overlooked that you could include in Christmas. Um, whether it's through inviting them to the service here or if there's some other way through the season. Is there someone that you, um, you know, for whatever reason have overlooked in the past? Maybe spend some time with God and just pray that through and see if a name comes to you and comes to your heart. So we'll give you some time now. Just ask David to play something and then um, I'll come back and close in prayer.